0: What's up guys, welcome back to the show. This episode is sponsored by the BitBox O2. If you are buying Bitcoin and you are not taking self custody, you are making a grave error. That is what all of this is about, is taking custody and establishing sovereignty over your money and hardware wallets are an effective and easy way to do that. And I've been really impressed by the BitBox O2. Uh, There's a lot of great features. It's really accessible for people that are just getting started. So if you've just bought Bitcoin and you want to figure out how to take self-custody with an easy-to-use device and app, it's great for that. It also has a lot of features that uh, accommodate the more experienced users, like connecting to your own full node, like the ability to integrate with multi-sig schemes, like Tor support, and many others. It's fully open source. It's a great product. I've been really enjoying using it. If you'd like to check it out and learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire for 5% off. What's up boys. Thanks for coming on to have this chat. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you for having us. So as I was just saying, I uh, I've been wanting to have this chat to do a kind of recap of the conference and being that you guys were behind the scenes, making everything happen. uh, I thought it would be fun to get your perspective on what the experience was like and some inside scoops and, you know what? What went wrong, right? Surprises, that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe we can just start with like, you know, just go around and general general take on what the experience was like for you personally. Brand, why don't we start with you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can jump in. I mean, you know, it's been like a, a whole process to unpack everything that's happened, really stretching all the way back to like January of this year when we were first like freaking out, trying to figure out if we can even do a conference. Uh, You know, to give a little bit of like, uh, I guess, perspective in January of 2021, we were planning to do an April conference in Los Angeles, California, and we hadn't heard from the city in like six months. Uh, Like we had no clue whether it was going to be allowed. We had no clue whether we were going to, you know, like have a whole bunch of people show up there and then the day of the conference have someone from the city just be like, oh, you guys can't do this, you know, and like just totally kick us out. And so, uh, you know, we got really close and it became like this moment where it was like, all right, either they hit us up and are like, this is a green light or we got to find somewhere else in the world that will actually give us a green light. And it was like concurrent to that. You started seeing Miami, you know, allow freedom to exist basically in like this one <laughs> pocket of the world. Uh, and so we just we literally did what everyone else did. And we tweeted, uh, you know, we DM'd Mayor Suarez and we were like, can we do this? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and he was like, you know, work with us. Make sure that like, you know, we can uh, uh, make it happen as like safely and, and as uh, best as possible. But like 100% we want to do this and we're on board. So it was like, wow, uh, uh, such a weight lifted off of us. And then as soon as we made that announcement, boom, like the entire conference just started rolling. I mean, it was like instant momentum. Tons of people were thrilled about the move to Miami. And like, you know, then all of a sudden, like the, the pressure came on. It was like, holy cow. Like this thing's happening now, a hundred percent. There's a lot of moment, like people are excited. We better freaking deliver on this thing and, and make it, you know, as good as we think it can be. And so, you know, that was the next few months and I'm just rambling here, but like, you know, it was, it was like a very weird thing to kind of reflect on in terms of like, we were all just kind of making it up as we go along and like rolling with the punches and like finding a venue on the fly. And like, there were so many moments where, you know, our audience was hitting us up being like, you know. Give us an answer. Like, where's the venue? Tell us the venue. And we were like in the background being like, where's the venue? Tell us. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, and so, yeah, no, it, it, like, it was just a, it was a crazy process. It was so much fun. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a total learning experience for everyone and, and you know, tons of mon- more fun stories like that.
0: Man, fuck did Miami ever work out perfectly though? You know, oh, like yeah. it couldn't have been a better place.
2: I have a little bit more color to add to that. So I'm in SF right now, and I was the only person in California at the time in the room. Everyone was in Nashville for our our quarterly all hands. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine had been rolling for a few months really well. Um, Folks like Nick and Dylan had been really chipping in to to turn the magazine around. Um, And yet we're sitting here kind of in the depths of COVID um, you know, they like Miami starting to emerge as like a place of freedom. The South is kind of emerging as a place of freedom. California was not that whatsoever. Uh, so the majority of the team is in Nashville. The majority of the team that's putting on the conference kind of like was not aware of how dire things were in California at the time. But I just remember standing up and like, y'all. Like I just went hiking last week in the middle of nowhere, and there's people wearing N95 masks on the trail by themselves. Like we <laughs> have to get out of California. This place is fucking. It, it is doomed. There's no. There's no way we're having the an event. And like as soon as like it instrumentalized that we're getting out of California, then it was like, okay, where do we have it? And it was like Nashville or Miami, Miami, and then just explosion. Just it truly was a, a, a complete 180.
1: Yeah, I will, uh, uh, you know, I'll give CK the, like, the first, we're recording this, right? Like, this is momentous for a lot of reasons, but, you know, hand to God, I was wrong. I thought that LA would come through. I thought California wouldn't be idiots. I thought they would all work out. And I was the one who was like, we got to do it in LA. Like, we were already planning on it. And CK was like, yeah, dude, it's not going to happen. And he was right. And I was
0: wrong. And that's, you uh, you know. Do you think it'll be in Miami again? Because how successful was, or is this kind of a rolling show now? You know, it's a really great question. It's
1: the number one thing we're talking about right now internally. And, uh, we're really, there's, we're rate, like we're weighing two things. Uh, it's no secret that we had some lines at the conference and, uh, we couldn't fit everyone in the main stage of the, you know, the venue. And so it was, it was a bit frustrating for us because like, You know, originally we were talking to the venue. They were like, oh, you should be able to fit like, you know, 5,000 people in here. And then like, as the floor plan solidified, it was like, oh, not 5,000, maybe 4,000, maybe 3,000. You know, like it just kept coming down. And at the same time, our attendance was exploding and we were like, what are we going to do? And I think naively, we were all hoping that, you know, there'd be enough Bitcoiners who were just there to like hang out with each other and just there to, you know, grab a beer, enjoy the sunshine, go to the satellite events, you know, that kind of aspect that we were just hanging our hats on that. And it turned out that there was a huge amount of people wanting to watch this cons- content <laughs> in the main uh, uh, you know, venue and they couldn't get in. And it was an absolute disaster and, you know, kept me up in between nights. I just, I couldn't sleep. Uh, and so the number one thing we're trying to figure out right now is, is there a venue in Miami that can, you know, check all the boxes that isn't just a freaking, you know, conference center that, you know, everyone goes and it's carpet and you button up and you're, you know, you're shaking hands and exchanging business cards, you know, like we don't want that to be the vibe of Bitcoin 2022. So it's like having to find this happy medium.
0: Yeah. Well, I was in the former category that you just described. Like I arrived a little bit late on day one and I saw like half of Ron Paul's uh, talk. And then I just hung out in the grounds, man. Cause like, it was unbelievable to meet because all these people, I, I've never been to a Bitcoin conference, right? And I think there's a lot of noobs over the last 18 months, two years. So a lot of people had never gone to a conference. And all these people that you, you've been mixing it up with on Twitter and podcasts and stuff, you finally get to meet them. And it's it was like honestly, it was such a special experience because you know, you know, having doing the podcast, right? Like this is gonna sound super douchey, but like some people know who I am. And, uh, you know, just having people come up to you and be like, you know, I just want to stop you and say, thank you, man. I appreciate your work. Um, and that's it. And then, of course, you stop and you talk and you hug and you laugh. And like that happened so many times. Like it was just the most, you know, gratifying experience, like possibly of my life. And it was so cool to just hang out with all the other plebs and just, you know, and to, to be on such the same wavelength with everybody, because like. I imagine our experience is similar in that in our meet space lives, like we are often around people that we probably aren't on the same wavelength with. Right. And over the last 18 months, it's been maybe frustrating and like exhausting and all that kind of stuff. And then to be in an environment where like hundreds of people are all on the same wavelength and it's just like immediate connection. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable, you know, just two days of that plus parties in the night. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, just to build off that too, uh, uh,
1: you know, as we're watching society kind of, uh, bifurcate in a way where it's harder and harder to just communicate with your neighbor. Like it's so, it's so refreshing to have this one area where you can just take shortcuts on like so many of our, you know, current social obligations when it comes to talking to people and you just get to like, relax, like put the filter off, you know, just enjoy each other's presence and like appreciate the fact that everyone there is like working towards the same cause. And like, yeah, it's, it's like a special feeling, you know, it's one thing for the movement to exist on Twitter. It's another thing to be able to, you know, reach out and touch someone else who, you know, is, is working towards the same goal as you. Uh, It's, it's an amazing thing.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. What, uh, any mishaps or stories from backstage for the two days?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh,
2: well let's see which one do you want to talk about yeah th- uh, i was gonna say this should have been the brand show because brand is the one who was like running it you know we 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 were just kind of on the outside
3: me Dylan, well, man just let it rip man well, so okay
1: <laughs> well let's let's clarify for one thing though uh i you know i was one of the co-organizers of the conference i spent the entire time backstage freezing my butt off i had a jacket on because uh, it was, cold. It was so cold back, back, back there. there yeah, yeah. And, and so I saw nothing, like I saw no, I didn't walk around outside. I didn't, you know, get to, I, I shot the basketball once at the, you know, the basketball court, but like, I have no clue what actually happened at this conference, except for what I could hear out of like a little speaker of, uh, you know, the, that main stage, uh, kind of content, uh, man, probably the, the most famous at this point kind of mishap, I guess there's really two, uh, one would be Floyd Mayweather showing up in a Ethereum max shirt uh, and like getting ready to just jump up on stage. And uh, uh, you know, we literally told him, we were like, you can't go up on stage in that. And he like, he threw a fit. Like he wasn't happy about it. You know, surprisingly, (laughs) if you challenge Floyd Mayweather, he's like, you know, he's a little combative. Uh, And so, you know, we, we like, we had to go back and forth. Uh, Pat from our team, like ran to the store and like got a Bitcoin magazine shirt and was going to like throw it to him and like saw it. He's like, no. Nah. And like, you know, just absolutely tossed it to the side. And then like he looked at one of his bouncers and was like, give me your shirt. And he took that shirt and put it on and went up on stage and then proceeded to just absolutely, uh, you know, we allowed to cuss on this. Oh, yeah. Totally just shit the bed. I mean, holy cow. Like uh, uh, that was the most embarrassing thing. I, I was literally I was crumpled on the ground backstage being like, what is happening? The fact <laughs> is that he pitched us that he wanted to come to the conference and announce that he was going to take his winnings from the fight on Sunday in Bitcoin. And we were like, hell yeah. Like, we would 100% want to provide a platform for you to be able to, you know, like uh, announce that. And if you actually go back and listen, uh, you know, it was so pre-planned to the point that the moderator who did a great job, uh, like teed it up. And she, like one of the last questions she had was, you know, you see a lot of athletes taking their bonuses in Bitcoin. Uh, uh, that's a quite a trend. Do you have any comments on that? And then he like goes off and he's like, do whatever you want. Like, I don't, I don't even remember what, exactly what he said, like all of it's a blur, but so, so that was just an absolute train wreck uh, lesson learned, you know, Floyd's not coming back to, to jump up on stage. <laughs> I don't think he quite has what it takes. Um,
0: I thought he the ended other- up wearing that Ethereum max. shirt. Why did I see that? Was it, did he because wear it afterwards or something? After, he was either afterwards or directly beforehand. He got
1: interviewed by like Fox or something like that. Uh, It may have been right beforehand. And so like he hadn't changed the shirt yet. And like in the interview with Fox, he was like wearing the Ethereum Max shirt. And we were like, dude, uh, we we were so frustrated with that, man. You know, if next time I see Floyd, you know, I'll beat him up. Uh, (laughs) Just you wait. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so that was like, that was, you know, mishap number one. Probably the other famous mishap was the Doge, uh, uh, you know, dude jumping up on stage thing. Which honestly was horrifying for a lot of reasons, mainly because like you know I don't know what like happened with our security that he was able to just get through there. Like we had security watching the stage, and somehow he just like walked straight through and uh, got up on stage, which is pretty wild. Uh, and then you know shout out to Ryan Calder uh, if you're watching, he was the 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 Chad the muscle man who just <laughs> scooped him up and took him off stage. He wasn't even security; he was just like you know someone who was alert and like on it and just did it. Uh, and so major shout out, major kudos to him because, uh, uh, you know, that was, that was very cringe. That,
0: that, that, that was that embarrassing was, that was, security. Yeah, totally. But it was also yeah. like, if I was up there on stage, it, w- it would have been frightening. Like, you don't know what kind of psychos are out there. And he seemed like a, a psycho, you know, like I know he was like pumping doge or whatever, but he was like screaming and act like, did, did you know, like, did, did you know any more information about that dude? Or was he just some like guy that wanted 15 minutes of fame, Yelling about Doge. He posted a TikTok like before someone found his TikTok
4: account and it was just like a recording of him looking at the screen. It was like, what if I went to the Bitcoin conference in Miami dressed in a suit? I went up on stage, ripped it off and screamed Dogecoin to the moon and then got arrested. And then I guess all of his TikTok fans are like, go do it. And he did it. Yeah, Uh, it's it's definitely
1: like horrifying. Let me tell you, our security for the stage is going to be 5x what it was before so that we don't get any of that you know bullshit happening again uh but yeah no it was like very alarming that he had no trouble doing that um i would say you know we 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 had other security uh, uh instances where the security team did really good job so you know shout out to them broadly but uh that was just like a crazy you know uh
4: snafu uh it was also pretty crazy when uh I think her name's Laura Loomer, she ran up when Jack Dorsey oh, right. was on stage. I'm not saying I disagree with her, but I'm just saying she was up there for a little while before, you know, anything happened.
0: Was she yeah. on the stage or was she down on the floor? He
4: was like right she wasn't on the stage, but like she was right standing up against it. Yeah, she she got very close and, uh, uh, you know, I think security
1: was eventually going to get there, but Peter McCormick was the first one there. So, (laughs) Uh, Like he, he, you know, calmed her down and, and, you know, was a superhero in that moment. So, yeah,
4: sitting front row and I was looking at Tyler. Um, Well, you guys should have done something then. Come on, Nick. (laughs) Sitting in the staff seat, not doing anything. Come on. I was just going to sit back and let her do her thing, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, she didn't get up on stage. She was just yelling from the audience. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Did you guys see um,
4: one cool thing was uh, when Tony Hawk was there, he was just in the back, like before he went on stage, he was just skateboarding around and he was doing that one trick. I don't know. I don't know what it's called, but it's like half the board was tilted up and he's just like rolling around the back. It was like, pretty cool to just be back there.
1: Yeah. It was, it was really adorable actually. Like he was getting out his <laughs> pre-stage jitters by skateboarding. Yeah. And I was like, that is the most Tony Hawk thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, like, you know he's got uh, thousands of adoring fans out there, like just excited to hear him talk, and he's like nervous. And so is that what he around. is? That what he said? You could tell. Like right. he, he was like he he was like uh, he had the board. He was waiting on the side. Uh, he was
4: talking at that time.
1: Uh, I guess that was the. Um,
4: I think it was the picturing hyperbolicization panel. Maybe?
1: No, I think it was the uh, uh, press and pish. Uh, uh, macro landscape oh, yeah, panel. on the second day yeah. yeah uh and so like he was waiting for it to end and he was like super nervous and he like kept fidgeting with the board and like looking up checking the time like making when was he going to get on and like eventually he just like looked around and he just took the skateboard and went and uh, yeah it was he
0: great. was super cool I, I had a quick chat with him he was just super chill down to earth super nice guy uh did you guys hear calacanis talking about the bitcoin conference and you know, kind of deriding it for being Bitcoin only and kind of how dare they, you know, notify participants Dylan. and speakers that it's Bitcoin only, that kind of thing. Did you see that?
3: Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, it was pretty beta. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. It's just like, you know, I think, like, is that show three billionaires? I know it's Chamath and Jason. Is, I don't know. I, I, I don't man, think but, Jason's uh, a billionaire, but.
0: Four yeah. of them. Uh, okay. It's
1: it's Chamath, Jason, uh, David Sachs, who's definitely a Bitcoiner, and uh, uh, David Friedberg. But yeah.
0: It, and they just were butthurt that you weren't allowed to talk about other stuff at the Bitcoin conference.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you then, know, uh, I guess I'll, I'll clear up a l- little, uh, you know, rumor that's going around about like, you know, Chamath not speaking. Right. It, it wasn't about him, you know, wanting to talk about other coins. It wasn't any of that. Uh, ultimately, what happened is that Chamath wasn't able to be there in person. And so because he wasn't able to be there in person, we said, look, it's an in-person event uh, and, you know, we're going to have to, you know, try something again next year. We're not anti Chamath. We think, you know, he's he's a cool guy. He's done wonders for the space. He's like, you know, take a little detour maybe through the, the token forest and, uh, you know, that happens, but uh, we think eventually he'll be back. You know, he'll he'll kind of get his feet under him. He'll understand a little bit better about what's going on in the Broad space.
2: sweeping, we
1: he needs to denounce BitClout and stop being
2: such a bitch, or else get out of here. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> he may take a little. Same bit with Jason. To,
0: to Jason,
2: keep underestimating Bitcoin. Jason yeah, is basically a,
0: a Bitcoin hater at this point. I know he holds seven figures or whatever, but you listen to him talk about it, and he just it's like he you know he hates on it.
1: Yeah. And you know, Bitcoin um,
3: toxicity is going to be the downfall of Bitcoin. That's, <laughs> that's uh, his
0: opinion.
1: Well, and, and the, like, the thing that's funny to me is like, you know, we got hit by the community for not being like Bitcoin maxi enough. And then right. at the same time, we get hit by, you know, Jason for being toxic. And it's like, man we can't we can't have a single win here you know we're, we're gonna get uh strikes against us from both sides but you know that's how you know you're doing things right is when everyone's ultimately get up get upset with you for something right you know that's yeah. how you know that you're walking
0: a new line was it hard to get all like because the speaker lineup was ridiculous was it hard to get people or was everyone down to come and participate
1: it's a good question uh you know there was there was a strategy to it where you know we knew certain speakers who knew each other and it was like if we can get this person who we're closer with we know that we can you know leverage that person to get this person kind of thing right, right and then right. once we had sort of uh you know a core group of uh speakers it became simple to come out and like you know uh, ask speakers to come i mean it was like we like hit that tipping point and we had people, more people were upset with us for not reaching out and asking them to speak than speaker, like people we reached out to, to ask to speak and weren't able to speak. Like it was, it was so incredible. And like the excitement from, you know, just a community, like I said, was, was just so palpable. Uh, we ended up having, I think somewhere around 2,500 inbound speaker requests on our contact forum. What? Uh, yeah, it was, it was insane. So, you know, in a lot of like those, legit
0: though, or are those like, shitcoiners and stuff.
1: I mean, it, was, it was tons Everything. of shitcoiners, tons right. of, uh, you know, blockchainers, tons of, you know, just speakers, you know, we just speak and uh, we'd like to speak at your conference kind of things so, like I mean, you know, we ran the gambit, but like 2,500 potential people asking to speak at the conference that you had to sift through. And it's just like, you know, that's on top of the outreach we did as well. So it was, it was crazy.
0: I guess once you get like Jack and Lummis and Sailor, you can pretty much get anyone in the space at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of what, what happened. Uh, and, you know, it, it still came with trouble. And, you know, the earlier we asked, the more hesitant people were uh, just because, you know, we were trying to push this in-person event. And there were plenty of people who were like, that ain't happening. Uh, and so, you know, it just it took sort of the the realization, you know, it, it took it really was like a lot of things coming together. It was speakers agreeing. It was, you know, the the Twitter kind of taking off. It was tickets being sold. It was excitement about the event broadly. It was Surfer Jim, uh, you know, losing his gasket on us a few times that, you know, like uh, uh, it was really annoying and like we had to work through it. But at the same time, the amount of people who learned about our conference through kind of that crazy blow up, uh, it was, I mean, it's (laughs) not the blow up at Chamath. Yeah. It's, it's non-zero. I mean, you know, it's like the classic Trumpian, uh, no, all publicity is good publicity kind of thing. Like it ended up, you know, it's not how I would prefer for us to, you know, be known, but, uh, it gave us a bigger platform and and that many more people kind of learned about us.
0: And did you guys have someone help you pull off like all the related events, like the dinners and the after parties and all that shit? Like, did you outsource that to event companies to host and shit?
1: Yeah. So you know, most of the satellite events were totally not us. Uh, CK was like in charge yeah. kind of, of coordinating. I was going to say, ahead. I
2: can jump in there. I mean, Bitcoin Magazine, we found a lot of success outsourcing from the community. And actually, 2019, 2020, we were doing the same thing where it was like, we knew that New York Blockchain Week was really great because not, I mean, consensus was kind of like the reason why everyone was in New York. But like, there's all this other stuff happening around and like, you could be on this completely like Bitcoin experience of New York blockchain week, because there's just all these organic, like little events happening. So we just made it really easy for people to submit an event to us and put it on our website. Um, So yeah, there is a lot of times like these satellite events show us where the opportunity is next year. So like, uh, for 2019, we didn't have an after party, we didn't have like a executive day the day before that kind of stuff and we just other people filled in those gaps for us we saw that okay we can bring that in house It's a good idea we definitely saw a lot more great ideas like kind of happening this past uh event and uh hopefully for 2022 you know we're trying to bring out a full week of bitcoining brought to you by bitcoin magazine and you know we're going to continue to facilitate like all the side events and try to capture that stuff on the site but
0: uh we're just going to be planning more stuff too sick So the, like the official after party, someone else put that together and you guys just kind of linked up. So specifically
1: whale night and the after party, uh, those were still our events. Like we still ran that now we had like event, you know, producer companies we were working with, but like, they were still kind of under our purview, but then everything else that happened basically, uh, besides, you know, after party whale night, and then our event that was all crowdsourced. That was all community driven. Right, like the beef steak, I know all of pretty much all of us except for Brandon
2: were there. That was a pretty sick party. Amazing. I was asleep.
0: <laughs> uh, did you guys know that the Ross recording? How like when did that come in? That wasn't a late entry, right? You guys knew that was going to happen. So it, let, wait, let's let Nick or or Dylan
2: yeah. <laughs> tell tell yeah. a story here.
4: Uh, I mean, I, or, do you remember that show? To- Dylan hit it. I'll go after. With, with raw, I mean,
3: I don't have too much to add, uh, you know, for like all the details. I think CK and, and brand uh, can do a better job than I can. I just, I know like the, the seven days that I was there, was like the most fun I've ever had, but the most like stress and sleep deprived at the same time. We were like, we would get up at like five and get at the conference at like six. And then we'd do the whole day, you know, work, socialize, yada, yada, go, you know, party at night and then run it back again. So
0: um i mean nick, you guys you, saw, you guys everyone's... were into it too like into the content because i remember when i first went up on the stage and i looked down like uh dylan nick and a few other you guys were right in the front row just like ready to fucking watch the panels and the, the speakers and stuff <laughs> i had a little chuck that was definitely one of the coolest parts is we
3: had like we had those meet like that media row where we were just we were just walk <laughs> up to the front we have like three 20 year olds sitting at the front and like wearing t-shirts <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool
4: yeah i, I thought uh i like, I had a pretty unique experience at the conference, like, tying into that. Like, we had the whole first row just blocked off reserved for Bitcoin Magazine. And, you know, me, Dylan, Tyler, and Casey, we were there for, like, all the huge big speakers. Like, some of the speakers, like Floyd Mayweather, like, we we couldn't give a shit to go to. But, um, like... <laughs> We were working hard there. Like, we weren't just sitting there watching. Like, we were live tweeting throughout it. We were writing articles about what they were talking about, et cetera. Um, but it was really cool to be able to, like, just sit there and listen to, like, some of these people talk and, like, kind of, you know, be able to, like, pick their brain on their thoughts on things. But, like, running the social media and their Twitter, like, I got the freedom to since I could just sign in for my phone, like I got the freedom to like roam around the place, take pictures, like meet different people. I got to see, you know, the art gallery. I got to see, you know, the, the video game place. I got to see, you know, all the booths. I got to go outside the Swan dome, the open source dome, uh, whale night, uh, the stacking sad stage, like the basketball court. I thought one of the coolest places was like the place all the way in the back. It was just like, The Winwood Marketplace? The Winwood Marketplace. It was just super chill. It had an ice cream spot and like a burger and a taco spot next to it. You could literally just go there. There were fans everywhere. So if you were too hot, you could just sit there, have fans blow on you and just like chill and talk Bitcoin the whole time. Um, I remember like months leading up to the event, like I'm one of like the only actual like Bitcoin magazine, like content team people here in the office. Put put that mic.
0: Close to your face, we you? and everyone you
4: else is just like you know, the conference team. And it was, it was a pretty crazy experience watching like how a conference is organized and run and like what goes on behind the scenes. Like, um, I, I'm not gonna say too much because I don't know what I can and can't say, but like it was a pretty like you're under NDA. You say yeah. anything wrong, <laughs> yeah. you're off the podcast, yeah. but it, it was a pretty like uh it was a great learning experience i thought just to like see like how things are run like um why things are done the way they are etc and um overall i thought the whole conference came together really well it was like bitcoin only nearly down to the t except like a few speakers who went you know haywire but other than that like i'm actually very impressed with the conference team and how everything uh went and um I think 2022, all this stuff is going to be ironed out and uh, it's going to be even better than uh, this conference this year.
0: Yeah. You think it's going to be ironed out, but it's going to be like three times as big. So there's going to be new problems (laughs) next year.
4: Yeah. Like one thing I was thinking, like the whole time I was like, okay, we're going to have like a 12,000 person event. And I kept thinking that for weeks and months. And then the night before we flew out to Miami, I was like, holy shit, we're going to have a 12,000 person event. <laughs> like there, like, there's going to be a ton of people there. And it kind of hit me all last second and it gave me a little bit of anxiety, but it was, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did dude, you, uh,
1: I, I can just uh, add to that, you know, uh, especially as we got like closer to the event and we went, you know, let's say from 8,000 attendees to 10,000 to 12,000. You know, I was talking to like Justin, our logistics guy, and I was like, how many, like how much is 12,000? Like, what, what is that? Like, what does that look like? You know, and we were like looking at pictures of events that had like 12,000 people at it to like try and figure out what this would look like in our venue. I mean, it was, you know, we're not, we're not experts. Like we're, we're Bitcoiners who are like trying to bring everyone together. And we just saw this thing like come together. And so like, man, we were, we were like working on our feet. But it was like, it was wild to be like, how many bathrooms do we need? The answer is more. Uh, How many, (laughs) uh, you know, security do we need? The answer is more. Uh, How many like food trucks do we like, you know, if we have three hours for food trucks and they're doing one person per 30 seconds, like how many people need to go? Like how many food trucks do you need in order to serve 12,000 people? The answer is more like it's like it's crazy to just like kind of do some of this basic math and figure out like how wildly scaled up the event became like very quickly. Uh, I mean, it was was really cool, but it was also like very daunting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Did you guys have like a speaker that you wanted to like make a point of meeting? And if so, did you? I have one right here. So, and I didn't meet
2: them. This was actually really sad, but, um, the Friday morning was Ron Paul, Nick Zabo. Um, Jack Dorsey and Michael Saylor back to back to back to back. Stacked. All the while that was all happening, I was in the store, probably about 300 feet away from backstage, with a backstage wristband that would have gotten me backstage, and I was just slinging t-shirts the whole time. I think Dylan was with me too. <laughs> so while all of this is happening, like these people that we would love to just say, "Yo, what's up? Shake my hand," you know, amazing, you know, what you're doing in the space. Uh, you know, we were just doing the menial grunt work. So, uh, I know Dylan kicked ass. Uh, I know Nick was, was running around with his head cut off and, uh, brand was backstage, but, uh, you know, it was incredible just to have everyone there. And, you know, it is kind of just shocking like man, Nick Zaba, Jack Dorsey, Michael Saylor all there in one place. And I could have just, you know, <laughs> snuck away and say what's up. And I didn't
4: I did get to meet a few good speakers. I got to meet Ron Paul i got to meet tony hawk i got to meet russell okong russell okong's a fucking dope dude he's crushed cool. really man awesome. yeah to meet him Russ. um ron paul was super nice tony was super chill um i just met a lot of like people i've been bullshitting with on twitter for the past <laughs> years like just sitting in the back room like it was it was a really dope experience
0: well nick that reminds me of meeting you at the Beefsteak, right? Because we all are used to interacting with avatars and Twitter handles, right? So like there was, let's say six of us standing around at the beefsteak in a circle, like, I don't know, Gigi and Rob and, you know, a few other people can't really remember, but you come in and you're like, Hey guys, what's up? And like, you kind of do the the handshake to everybody. We're like, Hey man, what's going on? And then somebody goes like, yo, you guys know that's Nick, right? (laughs) We're all like, Nick, holy shit. (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) And that happened so many times throughout the conference, right? Cause you just not, Used to people's faces. And then when you finally put two and two together, it's uh, like you realize you're pretty much like best friends. <laughs> I think, I
1: think Wiz had the best strategy, which <laughs> was to literally put his Twitter avatar on a shirt that he just wore around the conference. And so, you know, you'd be like, ah, Wiz, well, that's going.
4: <laughs> you know, otherwise, you just like, he could walk right past you. You'd have no clue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love going around meeting people for the first time. And I say, I'm Nick. And they're like, oh, okay, hi. And then I tell them my Twitter at, and they're like, oh, shit, okay, hi. <laughs> and, like, their whole like, language and misdemeanor, <laughs> like, everything changes. And, uh, yeah, like, one thing you said about Gigi being in that group, I don't have any memory of meeting Gigi. Like, I never <laughs> talked to him, and, and, I, and I'm upset. I'm really upset that I didn't, like
0: – Maybe you did. You just don't know it. it.
4: You met
2: him, and you didn't he know it. He looks like I, – I don't mean to dox him, but, you know – when you see him, you're like, "Oh, you're Gigi," like really? it all comes together. Yeah. You think he looks like
0: he sounds? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I recognize him immediately. I recognize him immediately. Um, well, how did the Ross thing come together? Can you guys divulge yeah, it,
2: that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I busted that. But uh, no, no it's yeah, all good. Brand Brand has the most has the most insight into all the speakers.
1: Yeah. So Ross was a pretty special one. Uh. You know, we had been trying to get Lynn to come to the conference. She was at 2019. Uh, you know, she delivered a letter from Ross uh, from jail that she read, and you know, it was a standing ovation. I mean, it was just so powerful. And we were like, we got to do this again. Uh, we like, we want to continue to grow Ross. You know, the free Ross platform. And uh, you know, we hit her up, and you know, she basically uh, she let us know she's like, sorry guys, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Uh, you know, I got a family thing, but. Let me see if, uh, you know, I can get an introduction to the lawyer and maybe you guys can do like an interview with him beforehand. And we're like, wait, like Ross can like talk and do an interview, like a phone interview with us. And, you know, uh, it was something that, you know, Ross had already always been a little hesitant to do just because of the fact that putting, you know, if you put your neck out there and you make noise. Yeah, there can be reper- repercussions, and uh, you know, unfortunately, and you know, horrifyingly, there were for Ross. Uh, you know, fortunately, he's out of the shoe. You know, uh, uh, like I can't tell you the you know the amount of tears that I cried backstage when I found out he was in there. I mean, it was it was. It, I found out in the middle of the Doge thing, which is why I didn't have any clue that that was going on or do anything about it because like I was literally out back sobbing. Uh, uh, and so you know, I come back in, and you know, uh, their thing is wrapping up. Aaron and uh, Steve Lee. And I, I, you know, talked to some of uh, the people who are in the the Free Ross team. They're like, yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to do here. And the day before, we had played Ross's uh, uh, interview with Bitcoin Magazine. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, just because of partially really because of how small our team was, we didn't hustle quick enough to get that added into the agenda at the very end. And so no one really knew about it. And it was only there for people who had stayed to the end of the day that they got to hear Ross, uh, you know, be interviewed. And, uh, and it was a recorded interview. But so, uh, you know, the next day, like it was towards the end of the conference, we knew we had the giant Jack Mallers thing that we, you know, was going to cap off this thing literally in like an hour. And we had just a couple of more uh, segments to go. And, you know, I, I talked to the Ross team and they were like, look, I think that, you know, you guys got to uh, message this and ask people to, to keep them, you know, in your thoughts and prayers and uh you know i i was like why don't we just play the thing again you know we got a full crowd out there uh this is a much bigger platform and you know they like kind of huddled together and because you know they the last thing we want to do is to get them you know ross into more trouble by playing it again you know like uh and you know they came back and they were like look you know i think it's gonna be hard to get him in more trouble at this point he's already in the shoe i think we just go for it i know ross would want you to kind of play it again And so then I was like, you know, totally like in shambles. I was like, all right. And then, you know, I, I kind of let the AV team know that we were going to, we were going to play it again. And like, I let, uh, Nick actually was moderating the next panel. Uh, like let the next panel, fortunately it was, you know, uh, Bitcoin toxicity. So it was like, you know, a whole bunch of people who would definitely understand delaying a little bit for Ross. Uh, and yeah, we just, we threw it back in there and, uh, you know it was very powerful. I think, you know, I was, I was really proud to be able to kind of uh, allow Ross to, you know, talk. Uh, and yeah, it, it was, it was really special. I think.
0: I didn't realize that you guys did it again on day two.
1: Yeah, it was, it was right there towards the end, uh, right before Nick's panel that we were able to just play it again. And when, you know, it was,
0: it was, a when record. was it recorded?
1: That's a good question. So uh, this is also part of the drama of all of it is that we were planning yeah. on getting it like, somewhere around three weeks before uh and you know peter from our team was waiting kind of just for a random call from prison that literally opens up exactly how it opens up on the uh phone like on the recording which is like you have a direct call from you know arizona state prison and it's just like you know this most chilling like thing and you answer it and like there's ross on the other end right and so we were waiting and waiting and waiting we didn't hear from him uh and then you know His team tells us that basically like there was a lockdown in the prison. Like there was a fight and it just, everyone was locked down. No one was allowed to get out of their cell. And we were just waiting for the lockdown to lift. And it was freaking like uh, a week plus. And not only that, and I know, I'm sorry, I'm rambling so much. I didn't mean to like take over this, this stream, but not only that, but beforehand we were going to hope to try and do a live interview at the conference with Ross. And that was our main plan. And then the prison let us know that they didn't allow any live recording or any live interviews with Ross or with anyone from the prison because of COVID, because it was a phone that he had to touch and other people touch that phone and it could be a COVID spreading issue. And so he's not allowed to talk to the media. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, like talk about an absolute.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, that's – sorry, I'm getting myself worked up. But, like, that's how all of this kind of happened was, you know, we, we were first hoping to do kind of a live interview with, you know, Bitcoin Magazine at the event. And then we quickly had to, like, change it into a recorded message from Ross uh, uh, that, you know, we had to kind of find some workarounds in order to do it. But, it, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty crazy. Uh, so,
0: pretty so he, had, he hadn't done – because when yeah. – I didn't think he could do that before. And I think that's what most people's assumptions were, but he had just avoided it himself because he didn't want, like he, I guess, wanted to avoid the repercussions. Is that, he could have always, he could, he could have recorded messages before.
2: So I don't know about that. Um, He got permission. So like he wasn't doing this outside of their knowledge, which is even more insidious and why they punished him anyways, because they said, yes, you can do this. And they made it as hard as possible. Truly. Like, we were planning this for upwards of a month and we ended up recording it the day before the conference legit. Uh, Like one of our interns who was supposed to go out to a steak dinner with us did not go out to the steak dinner. Same with Peter Chihuahua because they were there editing it before the day before it went. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was grit to make it happen. And then like, you know, obviously grit from, from Ross to just take it right. Like solitary confinement
0: nonstop. Is that so soon as it as soon as you guys showed it on day one, at the end of day one, that day or the next day he was put in solitary? Yeah,
1: uh, exactly. And uh, I think it was like the next day, just maybe honestly, probably like an hour, maybe two hours before we played it. The second time uh, was when we found out that, you know, he got put back into the shoe and, you know, uh, uh, for how long you're. Yeah. Oh, sorry. How long was he put in there for? it seems I think he was there probably like for about a week, uh, maybe a little bit more, but so, uh, you know, to your question, you know, was he always able to do this? A, not when he's in the shoe, obviously. Uh, and you know, he's been taken to solitary, I think multiple times since he's been in jail. Uh, like, especially I think when he first got in, uh, but I also don't want to, you know, spread incorrect stuff, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And, um, you know, he was always worried just kind of about not just the repercussions for himself, but like, you know, for his family to be worried about his safety. Uh, yeah. Like he just didn't want to, you know, put them through anything. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why he hadn't spoke out. It may also be that now that he's transferred to this prison in Arizona, he had a little bit more freedom to do this. And maybe previously, I think he was in Rikers uh, and I don't know if they were allowed to maybe speak uh, to the media in Rikers. So it, it wasn't quite possible until pretty recently, but uh, you know, he was kind of just picking and waiting his moment, um, In order to be able to talk to everyone. And the crazy thing is, is that he hadn't ever spoken to the media, like on on tape before, because, you know, up until this point, he was either in prison, he was in an ongoing investigation, or he was anonymous. Uh, So, you know, like, there was never this moment for Ross to tell his story, kind of, to, you know, a sympathetic media outlet who's willing to to listen to him. And so it was, it was
0: a pretty special moment. But Lynn did end up going, right? Cause I, you know, she was backstage. I saw her, I think day two, I can't remember which day it was, but everyone but did- that said they weren't going to come uh, or couldn't come
2: were They were on the fence of coming ended up coming. Like there's many of those stories. I'm sure Brand has them off the top of his head, but I know like four or five off the top of my head, including Lynn.
1: Right. Yeah. The the short of it is that she wasn't planning on coming until just the last second where there were just so many people that she would have the opportunity to kind of meet and t- tell Ross's story to that. She thought, you know, it was just, it, it, she couldn't afford to kind of miss the opportunity. I felt bad. It was like a family wedding that she ended up missing. Uh, but you know, she chose she chose the conference over that, which is you know even more special for us. So yeah, shout out Lynn. Uh, I mean, she's she's truly an amazing woman.
0: Yeah, she is. Um, all right, the Jack announcement. Give me the give me the the details on how this all came together. Wait, so before Dylan, Nick,
2: you guys weren't privy to the details before. Like, what was it like knowing that a big announcement was coming, but that like just as we're keeping it tight whipped
4: i remember like the night before we were all around the pool at the hotel and you you guys are like huddling together you're like yo i got this bullish piece of news like <laughs> saying it's gonna be world changing and i'm like bullshit like how many times have we heard that countless times and like you're like telling me like no it's gonna be crazy like it's gonna get mainstream news like everyone's gonna be covering it and i'm like yeah you know, what could it be? And I massively underestimated it, but I, I did guess it. Do you remember? I know. Looked- well, I think that, you
1: know, I think that there was like, it was guessable for sure. Uh, But like no one, like it's just like an entire level. It's like a step function up in terms of Bitcoin's legitimacy. So it was like, it was totally possible to guess and yet absolutely impossible to guess.
4: I know. I just remember how, I said, what's it about? Give me some details. And you said Jack Mallers and strike. And I was like, it has to do something, maybe possibly with like a third world country and in, involving Bitcoin in some way. But I, yeah, I just, but did you I, guess I
0: legal think... tender? Because I think a lot of no, people were I thinking didn't. Bitcoin I on did. the balance sheet of, uh, of El Salvador like government or whatever.
4: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was not thinking legal tender at all, but it was pretty crazy. I just remember when he was on stage, I was in the back, I was watching it on the TV I was right next
0: to you actually. Now that I think it was me,
4: you, and Russ, right? It was you, me, Russ, and like a A bunch of other people. A couple
2: other, yeah. Legendary.
4: (laughs) And when he announced. Yo,
2: Russ, he was supposed to not be there. He was supposed to not be there. (laughs) Oh, really? There's a lot of people who are supposed to not be there.
4: I just remember when uh, the president announced that it was going to be legal tender. He just went crazy. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was so that Maya. is legendary. Uh, how I kind of remember
3: it is like same with same with kind of Nick. We were we were pulling up to the pool and uh and Brandon and, and David Bailey, um, the CEO, they were just like just like they were cheesing ear to ear grins. I'm like, all right, I'm like, what's up guys? Like first time seeing them. I'm like and they're like, you know, whispering, like, you know, chatting back and forth. I'm like trying to mind my own business, but also like, you know, what's up? And Brandon <laughs> goes, you know, one of those things that all the Bitcoiners talk about happening. Yeah, it's happening. And I'm like, dude, just fucking tell me. And he's like, <laughs> nope. And so, so I, I mean, I was pumped, but I like, I, I didn't have any idea. Um, you know, obviously, Jack's like whole speech, just like unhinged, super raw, like emotional. Like that, that I, like, I will remember that environment for the rest of my life. Like that was yeah. like super chilling. And then like midway through the video playing with the president, the whole crowd just erupts and you can't even hear what's being said. Like
0: so powerful. Like that was my favorite part of the weekend by far. Yeah. But it it, it only, that only came together last minute too, didn't it? The announcement.
4: Yeah. Like literally the day of, uh, so one of the, I forgot his name, but one of the dudes from strike was texting me on my phone. He was like, tweet this out, you know, like get ready for the big announcement. Like he sent me over a tweet copy and stuff and I was reading it and I was like, you're not telling me what the announcement (laughs) is and I don't want to tweet this if I don't know because he's like oh like you better be there it's gonna be huge you know blah 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 and I was like fuck it I'll I'll send the tweet and I'm just hoping it's gonna be huge and uh it it lived up to my expectation yeah we uh we got a call
1: from uh Jack and his team on I think it was maybe Monday or Tuesday of you know the day like before the conference like you know the uh will day was, was Thursday. So like, this is Monday, Tuesday. Right. And, uh, you know, literally all we get, like we get a text the night before and it's like, we need 15 minutes, uh, of speaking time. And I was like, literally, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone tell me for this conference. I only need five minutes. I only need 10 minutes. And I, I keep having to tell everyone, it's like, we literally don't have the space. And then, uh, he was like, listen, we need 15 minutes. I promise you. Like you, like we have to do this. And so I was like, all right, well, let's jump on the phone and talk about this because like, we really don't have the space. And so then we jump on the phone the next morning and they just basically, you know, we had to sign NDAs with them. We had to like, you know, make sure everything was teed up. We weren't going to leak this out. And like, to be clear, like we weren't going to leak it out, not because of, you know, a lawsuit or anything like that, but because like Jack Mallers was like putting his neck out for like the entire Bitcoin ecosystem. I mean, if you think about, you know, for a moment, the, the fact that the IMF is involved with this announcement, the fact that, you know, the U.S. dollar is being challenged in a country and like, you know, this all like happened like Jack was rightfully like a little bit nervous about all of this. Mm, and so when yeah. he was telling us, you know, don't tell anyone, it was it wasn't like, oh, you can't tell anyone. It was like, please don't tell anyone until this happens so that we can make this happen. And like I can I can escape and like go away and like, you know, uh, uh be, you know, out of there and so you know that was kind of the the sentiment and we were all like okay you know clearly this is you know going to be a big announcement they finally tell us you know what it is uh and then we were like fuck, (laughs) like (laughs) gotta find the 15 minutes now uh and so you know fortunately we did and uh uh tim tim dylan was was flexible and the winklevoss twins and and uh jake paul they were all flexible to you know postpone a little bit and uh yeah i mean it all just came together but it's pretty crazy how that works
0: Dude, what a amazing, wow. like, cherry on the top of the conference to put that in right at the end.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it,
2: I mean, it made the conference to some degree. Not to take away from all the hard work we did, I'd love to say that me slinging T-shirts for a whole day made the conference, <laughs> but, like, damn, that was just, like...
1: It was the were already high, and that was just like yeah. I mean, yeah, I, cu- I couldn't imagine how different the conference would be had that not happened. Uh, it was like it was just an absolutely pivotal moment for all of Bitcoin, and like we were just lucky that uh you know we had the platform at the right time for them to be able to share it. Uh, so you know, obviously, shout out to to Jack and uh, Xander and like the whole Strike team. Like they really they made this happen, and we we were just able to you know give them the spotlight. Uh, so yeah. it is it was very incredible.
0: I, like I think all hardcore Bitcoiners are gonna remember that moment for probably the rest of their lives. But like in particular, and Nick, you you saw this. I don't know if any of you other guys were backstage. It was It's kind of all the blur for me, but it was like, cause I remember after the announcement, I went to take a pee and you know, the couch room, that's where the bathrooms were, right? And then I come out and Jack's, I think like him and maybe one other, but he's, you know, crying in his hands. He's got his head in his hands and he's just very emotional. And it was just before everyone like kind of flooded in like his family and everybody and it was you know and then everyone came in and everyone's crying and hugging and it's just like the most amazing beautiful experience ever you know and uh and people hung around there for 20 30 minutes and i think they you know they got jack out of there for security reasons or i don't know if i is that right do i remember that correctly wow yeah, that's basically right yeah Yeah. But it was like, you know, everyone had tears in their eyes. I had a few moments where it was more than tears in my eyes, but uh, it was uh, such a cool thing to witness, you know? And and for me, it wasn't the announcement. Like it's awesome. And, you know, we all knew it was going to happen. It's amazing that it's happening now in this way and all that kind of stuff. But for me, what got me so emotional was like, to see how much passion and dedication Jack had and how, his commitment to these ideas of freedom and fairness and truth and inclusive and financial inclusivity and all this and all the other things related to Bitcoin, how his passion can actually make something happen in the world, can actually foster the change that we always talk about, you know, that it can be made real through dedicated work like that. You know, that's what got got me going and that and that he was that he's so passionate about it and that he's willing to devote his you know, life to it when he's and when he says I'll die on this hill, I fucking believe him, you know, and uh, that's what got me that like, that's how much raw emotion there is for this cause, you know, not necessarily the announcement itself.
1: Yeah, what's what's the old saying? Uh, uh, You know, never, never doubt that a single person can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, right? You know, like uh, that moment, Jack, he may very well have changed the world. Uh, So, you know, it's it's amazing.
4: I've watched that uh, video back on YouTube, like at least 10 to 15 times <laughs> over. Like I, it, it's, it's awesome. Like that's like, that's someone who I aspire to be like, you know what I mean? Like that's inspired me to like, want to do more and like actually create like something, a real world value that like helps people like, and not just sit around and, you know, just do nothing. Like that's, it's, it's, it's dope shit to see.
0: Yeah. So but you're the like one who's it, been patting our YouTube stats, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well i think everyone agrees with you nick but you know for what it's worth you guys have been crushing it with content over the last however long a period it's been i mean you know i don't know that's these guys yeah it's just, it's just been awesome you guys are killing it but um you mentioned what happened after like the, D- the dylan podcast and stuff like how, how did that come together like and and why you know jake paul how did that get in the mix
1: yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, David, our CEO is a Tim Dylan stan. Uh, he just absolutely loves this guy. Uh, he like, you know, every day or every week, I guess he would like send me clips from the previous Tim Dylan show. And he's like, this is the best comedian in the entire world. He gets Bitcoin like we got to get him at the conference. And so like, you know, eventually we figured out how to get in contact with him. And uh, he agreed to speak. And, uh, you know, for the longest time. And again, this is, you know, if everyone knew this, maybe they'd see everything differently. We were planning on doing Tim Dillon and Chamath. And it was going to be like a kind of, you know, half ribby, like, uh, uh, you know, talk about Bitcoin, but also keep it light, be entertaining, you know, like give these guys because they kind of know each other. Uh, and so, like, that was kind of the whole plan. Uh, and, and, you know, it wasn't like we we're going to give Chamath the chance to jump up on stage and shill BitClout, right? You know, like we, we were trying to, like, make it cool and fun. Uh, and, you know, that fell through. We had a couple other ideas that fell through. And so we were like, you know, we're trying to figure out what's the right kind of content for him. And like, obviously, we want him to kind of end the, you know, the event on a high note uh, before we knew what kind of a high note we were talking about. Uh, And (laughs) so, you know, uh, eventually, like, he came back to us. He was like, you know, we met the Winklevoss twins. We're like, oh, they'll be there. You know, like, let's let's tee up that one. And then he was like, well, Jake Paul just reached out to me about the fight. We were like, you know, Uh, we need to make sure that Jake is, you know definitely not going to be slinging anything else up there. And, and he was like, I already talked to him. He's on board. It's it's Bitcoin only. Like, he knows. We we're like, okay. Uh, and so, like, you know, Tim Tim's folks really made that happen, Tim and Ben. So, shout out to them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I I didn't get to hear much content from, from the entire conference. I did take a lap during that because, like, it was the first time I got out from behind backstage. It was, like, the last thing. I didn't have to do anything else. Uh, and, like, walked by and I, I heard Tim go, you know, uh, Cameron, Tyler, you guys have been pretty quiet, Uh, uh, probably because you guys are CEOs and you got to be careful about what you say and you don't want to, you know, misrepresent the company. So can you tell me your thoughts on Israel, Palestine? And it just like, you know, the entire crowd just lost their mind. It was so funny. And I was like, oh man, that's good. That's good. That's like a fun kind of way to end it. Uh, So, so yeah, Uh, I think, I think it was a pretty good hit, although I didn't hear most of it.
0: Yeah. I actually met, I talked to Jake for like 10 minutes backstage and I like, I know he's brash and, kind of crazy and that kind of stuff but i kind of like his shtick like i kind of like that he just likes to piss everybody off and he actually is pretty you know talented for a youtuber and what he's doing and you gotta you gotta give him props for making you know millions and millions of bucks fighting MMA fighters in a boxing ring i mean it's clever if nothing else but i also told him that i made money off his last fight i i I bet bitcoin on sports bet um nice on jake against ben and i i made some bitcoin so that was great you bet um, against ben
1: who's the the bitcoin you know the bitcoiner on uh boxing or come was on it boxing buying. or fighting
0: he, he ain't really a bitcoiner uh, <laughs> well, hard to keep he, up with everybody these days yeah i mean he's a litecoin bro as far as as far as i know <laughs> yeah
1: well he got knocked uh, out so you know <laughs>
0: If he was really a yeah. bitcoiner he would have won that one exactly exactly um all right. Last little bit, boys. But what, you know, I, I said right at the beginning that like the conference just like everything's different now, right? From the announcement, from how many people came to the conference and had an amazing time and got to, to meet all these other Bitcoiners and meet space. Like, I don't, I don't know what the question is, but I, like things are different. What do you guys Like, what are your guys' takeaway? Where, where we are now? How are you feeling about things? Let's actually do like, go, go one by one. Dylan, why don't you kick it off? Just general, general, uh, yeah.
3: I mean, the, the nation state thing definitely is like, you know, uh, obviously huge. Um, I think it's like, it has the potential. Um, and it already has for people that have thought about it, but to like flip the script from like, you know, Michael Saylor kind of brought in like the digital gold narrative, you know, like corporate adoption hedge against money printing. Um, and, and with El Salvador, like some of them I like more, maybe like, liberal friends i guess i'll say like yeah well this is economic empowerment for for people that don't that you know are locked out of the banking system like this this is and so i guess like after the conference what changed for me is like you know there's a whole different level of like or a whole different angle to you know like orange pill people with like the narrative isn't like oh yeah it's a financial asset and you can protect your wealth like it's yeah there's there's people in, in like that are impo- impoverished that are using the Bitcoin and lightning network to survive and to put food on the table. And so like that for me, like've I've definitely been hitting that angle hard and you know it's awesome to see and now with you know, I think a lot of S- South and Central American uh, countries are gonna follow. So that's what changed for me. <laughs> nice. CK So Ansel Linder
2: um long time Bitcoiner. uh he went to the conference uh he also uh we host a podcast together called fed watch and during the conference uh we we're planning it was like friday night uh we had missed each other the first day so we we're like hey we got to meet in person like you know this guy was on top of my list of people i wanted to meet in person because we've been working Wait, you, you guys had never so met in person and then i met him and he was like man
4: wow yeah that's never wild. met in
2: person yeah he's taller than i thought he's about as tall <laughs> as john Big man. Big man. I got that a lot at the conference. Um, but (laughs) I you were as tall as I thought you were, but uh but Ansel is taller than I thought. Um but regardless, like he was like, dude, this conference, Bitcoin's gone mainstream. Like this is the first time I, I fully like you know cemented that, like that it like we've gone mainstream and then five hours later, the El Salvador announcement drops, which is like just that next level. And on top of that, for me, like, I'd always been saying Bitcoin's going to go a lot faster than people expect. Um, and I thought that nation states were happening before 2025. So it just like, for me, it was just like, wow, I was at least directionally correct on that. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I really don't think Bitcoin is going to take a long time. Like, uh, you know, network effects on top of network effects. You know, the iPhone was invented in 2008. Um, look where we are right now. Like Bitcoin's going to change borders by 2025. At first I was saying it's going to change borders by 2030. It's going to change borders by the next halving. Like uh, it's, that, what you, it's that. What do
0: you mean by change borders? Big of a deal.
2: Like countries are going to change. Borders are going to change. Geopolit- geopolitics will forever be different because of Bitcoin and it will start like shaping the earth in by the next having giddy
4: up Nick ever since the El Salvador announcement, like it's just been like kind of overwhelming with how much um, like support for, for Bitcoin has come from uh, central and South America. I mean like every day there's a new politician laser eyes on Twitter some of them are being toxic. Like there's this one from Colombia. <laughs> he's if you if you look up his at and at Peter Schiff, it's just him commenting, trolling under Peter Schiff, telling him to shut up and short it if he really <laughs> believes like Bitcoin's bad. And he's like, show receipts or no, we're not going to take you seriously. And like he was trolling. E- Elon Musk responded to one of our tweets yesterday, and he was under there trolling Elon Musk. Like. That's like that set a standard for like bitcoin toxicity, and this dude's an advisor to the president of Colombia. Like, that's now the standard, and I won't accept anything less from any politician. (laughs) It has to be laser eyes and bitcoin toxicity from here on out in every other country. And it's just insane to see, like, I mean, like, shortly after the El Salvador announcement, um, some dude from Paraguay tweeted out that he's afraid that paraguay is gonna fall fall behind if they don't adopt bitcoin so they need to get started with the uh, adoption process and like like we were saying earlier like the world's changed like it's completely you know different now in our eyes at least from uh you know june 2nd before the conference started and um also like and then like in my own personal life like it was pretty dope to like get on stage and speak at the conference in front of what like Four thousand people or something like that and like however many online like that's that was a life experience that like i'll never forget and like i'm I'm really glad i did it like it was it was pretty dope to do that and uh i'm thankful for the opportunity that i did get to do that
0: yeah for sure yeah the, the laser eyes by all the uh latin american politicians was a real like that happened so fast it was like the next day they started popping up and I think, you know, it's like the four minute mile thing, right? Like someone does it and then everyone just clues in and be like, oh, you can do that. Like we, we, we can just have dual legal tender and, and benefit from, you know, having Bitcoin, plugging into Bitcoin as a as a nation or as an economy. Like, why don't we do that? You know, like we don't we don't know the fucking U.S. overlords, anything, particularly in Latin America, where they've been fucking around for the last hundred years. Like, why not? You know, if little tiny El Salvador can do it. So it's gonna be super interesting to see how fast this snowball you know rolls ahead
4: mm-hmm. I can't
0: is there a hope for Canada? no we'll be like dead last We're just God. that place so is sad running that's in, in the, the wrong direction it's brutal
4: that's how I feel about the u s
2: the sovereign individual forecasted that sorry Nick sovereign individual forecasted that so well like just nation state resistance developed nation state resistance to decentralization totally one of
4: the things i found interesting was how fast they moved to get the bill in congress and then you know vote on it and make it
0: legal tender and, and then, then doing like, a twitter space is the night that they were voting on it and we're all hanging out listening to the president yeah i mean how crazy like, is that
4: and then like yesterday or earlier this week the u.s were like "Hmm, we got to delay this decision on the vanguard bitcoin etf like we, we don't know just yet like they take so long to do shit and then you know countries um in central and south america are, like they're rampant with this like they want to get shit done and it's it's really cool to see yeah
0: yeah and they, they i mean they have far less to like hold on to or protect you know like thing you know in many cases things aren't super great and they've been at, been at the behest of the u.s for a long time and i think a lot of them see it as like not only a way to benefit their country and their citizens, but like a bit of a middle finger too. It's like we're happy to go our own way with this. Brian.
2: So here, a thought that came into my head is like, okay, so El Salvador, they had, they were a smaller country. Uh, let's just say a president that could, you know, you know, things happen relatively quickly, and they had nothing to lose in terms of they were dollarized. They hadn't, they didn't have their own currency. Like we need to make a list of other countries that fit that criteria. Yeah. Cause those are going to be the most likely, cause like the fact that they didn't have their own currency really mean, meant that they had nothing to lose. Right. Like right. once you add in like, Oh, we have to give up the Cantillon effect. Then like, that's a little bit harder of a pill to swallow.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, if you don't have monetary dis- if you don't have discretion over monetary policy anyways, like w- might as well. But it will be interesting to see, like, I can even I can see places even that do have their own currency just do dual legal tender and, and just to see how it pans out, you know, and like they'll maybe they'll try to play it to their benefit or who knows. But um, that would be interesting, like to list the dollarized economies with small populations, extremely popular president or, or ruling party. What do you guys think of the Article 7 that's been getting a bunch of uh, press over the last few days? The, the it's basically- kind of hypocrisy
3: that that people are, are so like like especially like the economists or people that like you know have been kind of Bitcoin haters and like oh now they're coercing people to use Bitcoin it's like well what, where where were you on every legal tender law before that <laughs> people are being you know coerced into paying taxes with the US dollar and now they have the option to do it with another you know that's, that's why April. it's funny right
2: because you have to pay yeah. taxes in it
3: Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now Bitcoin is now it's like, you know, it's the worst thing in the world and legal tender law should be abolished because of Bitcoin in El Salvador. It's like, give me a break. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I would hope that there's not like, you know, if someone doesn't want to accept Bitcoin for whatever reason, then I, you know, I would hope there's not, you know, like violence or, you know, any sort of uh, action against them, but Um, You know, ultimately, like, this is a a great move and to to hate on the wording of a law is like, I don't know.
0: Why do you think they included it? Because like, that's what nation
2: states do. That's what nation states do. Like, it's a nation state adopting money. Um, nation states impose the money the thing is with people are like I was really disappointed to get Jerry Brito's take which was really weak it was a, definitely a straw man he was like oh Bitcoin's ethos is never to be imposed upon it should be permissionless look it was permissionless for El Salvador to impose it on its people that's where Bitcoin meets the stack okay like people are getting kind of confused where Bitcoin actually meets the decision here like it was permissionless for El Salvador to say we're making Bitcoin our national currency. And then it's a freaking totalitarian country. You know, they're going to do what they do. Like, I don't understand why people are so like naive to how the world works here.
0: But do you think it should, do you think it should not be there? Article seven, like, cause like on its face, it's like, yeah, well, sure. You, people shouldn't be coerced to use a certain type of money, like in an ideal world. But I'm, I'm wondering if they're playing some 4D chess here. If there's, if there's some other implications of having that in there that, impacts other things that we're not considering. I don't know if anyone's playing 4D chess, but
2: uh, I would say that, yeah, my, my base case is that all politicians are just nearsighted, whatever take, they are. Idiots are smart. <laughs> I don't know.
1: But uh, I'll
2: yeah, take a, honestly, a, a I, I think.
1: View. Okay, so, go for it. So, uh, you know, I always view kind of like the, the, you know, Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter to be like a bit of an immune system for Bitcoin. And uh, part of what that means is that, you know, the way the immune system works is like if you have a foreign body enter, but it signals the right things, your immune system will accept it without attacking it. And I feel like, you know, Bukele, you know, the, that whole thing is a foreign body that came in signaling the right things but may ultimately be something that is is worthy of, you know, the immune system attacking in the future. And, you know, personally, like, I think that the, you know, legal tender, like, all of this is great. But, like, that doesn't mean that he himself is, like, what we should be, you know, uh, as Bitcoiners, hoping that the world looks like, right? You know, like, the El Salvadorian government has its own issues. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's just, it's different, right? So, like, I don't think that we need to... By cheering on the, the fact that, you know, El Salvador has accepted Bitcoin as a legal tender, is going to hold on its balance sheet, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean necessarily that we also have to all say, and El Salvador as a government and as, you know, a, a uh, proper nation is, is Bitcoin. Like, they're not Bitcoin. They are their own iteration of their own thing that ultimately we will see has incompatibilities with Bitcoin. And uh, either you know, I think what will end up happening is Bitcoin will change that, uh, and you know El Salvador will have to quote unquote bend the knee to uh, you know the values and some of the you know underlying uh, necessary sort of uh, properties of Bitcoin. And and yeah, so so that's that's my take. You know, I, I think that ultimately we'll probably cancel uh, Bukele <laughs> within a couple months.
0: I agree with that take that you know everyone ultimately bends the knee to Bitcoin. But do you what do you think? is the benefit to the government of that particular article.
1: Can I Also, I want to add, I'll answer that question. Let me add one more thing because I've, I've thought this through a little bit. I think Bukele and Michael Saylor are very similar. Like those situations were very similar. It took a Michael Saylor, yes. someone who had absolute control over his company to be able to get that company to put Bitcoin on its balance sheet, right? Like he had to have control over the board, like a, a unique vision, kind of be his own person, be willing to take risks, and, uh you know, have some sort of safety that he doesn't think he's going to get crazy backlash on the back end of doing this, you know, unique decision. I think that's the same thing with Bukele. So it, it took a Bukele, it took a, you know, a centralized authority in order to make this happen for probably the first iteration. And that sucks. Like, I hate that. But I think that that was an inevitability and we should have probably, in hindsight, it was one of those, in hindsight, it was inevitable kind of thing, right? Mm. Going back to the, uh, you know, the forcing companies to accept Bitcoin, you know, I think it's a a weak argument, although I appreciate it, that uh, if you don't require companies that are able to accept Bitcoin to accept Bitcoin, you can create a dichotomous uh, economy where you have those who have access to the banking system that use, you know, USD or cash or whatever else. And then you have those who all they have is a cell phone. And if, if all you have is a cell phone and you only have access to Bitcoin and you're not allowed to use certain stores or certain, you know, vendors because they don't accept Bitcoin, uh, you do have a bit of like a two, you know, you have a, a, a dichotomous economy and you don't want to like, you don't want to have that. So I understand that vein I haven't heard necessarily from the government that that's what they were thinking when they added that in, but that would be kind of my thought process of that is that you don't want to just create, you know, a two person system, those who have access and those who only have Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. Well, it's obviously a measure to incentivize the use of Bitcoin, right? Like, cause as you said, like if you didn't have that, then yeah, you're you kind of disincentivizing the use of it in certain ways. So John,
2: all I would say is like one of the potential backfires of that is the ninety day time period is tight. It's hard to do anything in 90 days. We have an organization of 35 people and to get us to to like change. Yo, gears, sure, sure. Yeah. Like that takes like 35 days, you know? So um, like I feel like there's a lot of things set for like let's just call it El Salvador to stumble into Bitcoin adoption and like stump like kind of like Uh, have some missteps and then I think the critics might look at that uh, in a really critical way. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's the downside. Honestly, I don't, I don't think there's 40 chess here. I think it's, you know, Jack Mallers and a politician or a group of politicians designing something. They're going to politician. They're going to do what politicians do. They're going to force stuff down people's throats. Like they're, you know, nothing about them is really changing fundamentally so far you know so like there's no reason to expect an incompetent totalitarian government to not be an incompetent totalitarian
0: government well the the other thing is like uh, the other reason why it's weird that people are surprised by it it's like governments are tasked with doing what they think is best for their people right not having a laissez-faire do whatever you want attitude on everything like no country in the world has that right so you could say like well if they believe That accelerating the adoption of Bitcoin is what's in the best interest of their people, then taking this approach makes sense. You know, it's not the quote unquote freest way to do things. But but, you know, if they perceive their role to be doing what's in the best interest of their people, I know that's like a uh, idealistic sort of view, but, you know, you could explain it in that way to a certain degree.
2: You can justify every government action with uh, doing it for the best of their people easily.
0: <laughs> so yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, right, and uh, Auschwitz was for the best of our
0: people too. Oh, uh, fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, Brand, give me your, your final thoughts on the, the conference and, and this, where we this are is now. Like
1: the final thought of, you know, how did things change? Like has, has Bitcoin changed after
0: it? Yeah, just, you know, how how are you feeling after the conference and where we are and kind of what's what's running through your head right now?
1: I would say that uh, I think that Bitcoin is now officially a movement. And I think that that movement is unstoppable. I think that like what Miami proved in the like in the very end of COVID when no one else was sure that you could get together and hang out. We had people coming internationally for a purpose. And that purpose is hyper bitcoinization. And, you know, that's that's been our entire company's goal is to create hyper bitcoinization manifested in the world and do everything we can to help it along, right? And so I think that that's such a clear signal in a in a chaotic world where there is no other purpose. There is no movement, there's no underlying ideology that's consistent. There's no signal out there. Uh, It's all just chaos and noise. And then you have Bitcoin and everyone showed up and we were all pointed in the same fucking direction. And that is just categorically unstoppable. And so, you know, what I see is that this is like the launching point for Bitcoin, the movement to overtake the entire world and the incentives are strong. The the signal is strong. The you know we're I think past the point of no return in terms of countries you know dealing with Bitcoin, and uh, some have already flipped the game theory in favor of Bitcoin before anyone could stop it. And so like it's just inevitable. Bitcoin is inevitable, and if you don't understand that yet,
0: uh, HFSP,
3: <sighs> it's going to be a tough tough century for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, you know, a final thought is we were th- talking about this at one of the after events, but it's like 12 months ago, would you have predicted, Sailor hadn't come out until like, what was it, August last year, right? Yeah. So like you know, 12 months ago, would you have predicted that a public company would go all in, not just like dip their toe in, and that a country would adopt it as legal tender and all the rest of like, just those two things, forget all the other news. No, you probably wouldn't have guessed it, right? So when we're having this conversation after the conference next year, 12 months from now, I mean, imagine some of the crazy shit that could happen in the next 12 months. I mean, we we could be talking about several countries having adopted Bitcoin. And I mean, we, it's, it, things are moving so fast. You, you really can't predict. I mean, 12 months is an eternity in Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, so. I think the conversation is probably going to be around uh, where's everybody moving? Like, you know, uh, you have all these options. You have different uh, upside in, in the different countries that are now uh, Bitcoin-centric and Bitcoin-focused. And it's like, you know, w- where are you going to build your Citadel? Where are you going to move? Like, what are you going to do? Uh, uh, the, like, the world opens up for Bitcoiners in
0: the next 12 months. Who's, who's going to try to attract us the most, man? Who's, who's going to have the, the most enticing policies and incentives and that kind of stuff? It's I'm not a, just a, the wealth. I'm for in, sale. It's not
1: just the wealth in Bitcoin. It's the fact that you have a unique group of people who are able to see the signal in the most chaotic environment possible. And like these are the kind of people that will ultimately like move society forward. And like, you know, every single country wants these people. These are like the Benjamin Franklins, you know, the Thomas Jeffersons, like this is how uh society progresses. And so like the clear signal is is the the stupid laser eyes. I mean, it's like it's literally it's that simple.
0: <laughs> I never want to take my chair force. Yeah. Um, well, boys, this has been fun. And, uh, just again, you guys crushed it at the conference and you're crushing it at the magazine and I'm sure all the other stuff you guys are doing. So, uh, Ellen, thanks for the invite of doing the the hosting. That was fun. And it was fun to be able to get to be backstage and meet some of the people and hang out for some of those special moments. It was like, yeah, like I said, it was an incredible experience. So uh, I appreciate being involved. Thank you. You, you absolutely killed it. You know, I didn't even have to worry about anything
1: because John Ballas was uh, was up there, you know, just running the show. So
0: thank you. <laughs> All right, boys, uh, we'll shut it down. I'm sure I'll be talking to you again soon. So uh, have a good one. You're the man, John. Right, Catch you later. later.
4: For having us.